0: John 1, starting at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, meaning teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ and he brought him to Jesus Jesus looked at him and said You are Simon son of John you will be called Cephas which translated is Peter The next day Peter the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee finding Philip he said to him Follow me Philip like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found that one Moses talked about and wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. You come and see, said Philip. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man.
1: Thank you. I don't know if you've had a chance to chat to any of our uni students this morning. We've got a few uni students among us. Um, if you did, you might have heard that it was the first week of uni this week, so welcome back, guys. It is March, just in case anyone um, thought they got the wrong month or anything. Um, a few years ago, I actually spent some time working at uni. I was working for uh, ES um, for a couple of years, one of the, the uni ministry groups. Um, a few of, our, few of our guys are in the group at the moment and involved. Um, a few years ago, I just started working for the group. It was actually basically my first ever day on campus, Um, And I got told, um, I got given a banner. It was a bit like this kind of prayer gathering banner here, sort of a big banner like that. Got given a banner, told to go out on campus, set up the banner, uh, and just chat to students who might be interested in joining the group. Pretty simple, right? Sounded like a pretty simple task. Uh, So I went out and did that, set up the banner. Actually, I trolled the EF's uh, Facebook page, and I found an old photo of me on this actual day that I'm talking about. Um, So here we go. That's me. Uh, You can see the banner. It's a little bit small, but right behind me. Um, I just set up the banner. Um, the banner on it, on it, the banner said, uh, in big words, the ES slogan, Meet Jesus at Uni. Meet Jesus at Uni. Um, so I just, I just started, I think I was about 10 minutes in, just set up this banner, really excited to be doing something new. Um, set up the banner that said, Meet Jesus at Uni. Um, the first thing that happened is these two girls uh, walked up and they kind of had this little cheeky look on their faces and they said, so where is he? I was like, "Oh." What? I don't, I, think, I don't think I even paid attention to what was on the banner behind me, actually. I was like, what, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, well, where's Jesus? It says meet Jesus at the uni. We want to meet Jesus. Do we have to make an appointment? Is he coming later? Is he here now? Where's Jesus? We want to meet Jesus. It says meet Jesus at uni. And I was like, I don't even know what I said. I think I, think I probably just said something like, oh, sorry, Jesus didn't come in today. I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm not trying to have a go at ES or their slogan or anything like that. Um, But I think it's a funny example, actually, of one of those things that Christians say that can be a little bit strange, meeting Jesus at uni, that idea. Let me get rid of that picture for us. There we go. And actually, here's my question. What does it actually mean for us to meet Jesus? What does it actually mean for us to meet Jesus? And and as Christians, we say that we we have met Jesus, we know Jesus, we have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, How can you actually have a relationship with someone who walked the earth 2,000 years ago? What, What does that actually look like? That's my question. And here's my theory. We actually do know that Jesus did walk the earth 2,000 years ago. And when he did, he, he, he did meet people. He actually met people. He encountered them in the normal way. He walked around. He shook their hands uh, if there was no coronavirus going on. Uh, it's just fact. He, he said hello. He met them in the normal way in which, in which you or I would meet today. And what's more is those encounters that Jesus had with people were written down for us And so here's my theory, if we go back and we investigate what it actually looks like for people to meet Jesus 2,000 years ago, it'll actually help us, it'll inform us, it'll help us think about what it actually means to meet Jesus today. If we investigate what it meant for people to meet Jesus 2,000 years ago, it'll help us as we think about what it actually means to meet Jesus today. And so that's what we're going to be doing for the next seven weeks As Lauren said at the start, we'll be looking through the Gospel of John, uh, looking at some of the various people that Jesus met through the book, and look at the interactions that they had together. My hope is that we won't be doing it as sort of just an interesting history lesson, uh, but as we do it, we'll be able to think about, okay, what does this actually mean for us here today as we think about encountering Jesus in 2020? What does it actually mean for us today? So just to whet your appetite, today we're looking at uh, this story that we've just had read out, particularly this Uh, skeptical, kind of scoffing sort of character, Nathaniel. Uh, Then in subsequent weeks, we're going to look at things like uh, Nicodemus, who is a very important Jewish leader. Uh, Then we're going to uh, look at an encounter Jesus had with a Samaritan woman, who was quite the opposite, not important at all. Uh, We're going to look at what happened when Jesus met a blind man. Uh, We're going to look at an encounter he had with his disciples on the night before he died. Uh, And then on Easter Sunday and the week after, we're going to be looking at a couple of the interactions Jesus actually had after he rose from the dead, so towards the end of the book. Uh, But this morning, uh, as I said, I'd I'd like to have have a look at this account that's uh, been read out out for us when Jesus met his very first disciples. Uh, Today in the passage, he met five men, all from Galilee in northern Israel. Five men, four four out of the five are named. There was Andrew, there was Simon, who immediately gets renamed Peter. Uh, There's Philip and there's Nathaniel. Uh, and then there's a fifth guy who's not named at all, and I suspect, actually, that that's probably John who was witnessing these things and writing everything down. It kind of gives us a few hints that that's actually John himself. Um, we know he was there witnessing everything that happened. Uh, so there's these five men, and I, I do want us to focus in on the character of Nathaniel, the skeptic, uh, but just to get our bearings in the story as we start off. Let's, uh, let's just go through some of the other, other people he met as well as, as we start off the story. Let's start at uh, verse 35. Here we go, so this is where we start. It starts off the next day, John was there with two of his disciples. And this, just to point out, this can get a little bit confusing because there's John who wrote the book. This is John the Baptist, who's one of the characters in the book. So uh, this is John the Baptist. John was there uh, with two of his disciples. Uh, And talking about unique, the whole kind of discipleship idea in in ancient culture like this, um, it really was the ancient kind of equivalent of a tertiary education. This is sort of what you would do. young people to be educated, they would go and find a teacher or a rabbi and they would literally follow that person around, um, hear them talk, see them live, uh, make sure the person had enough food to eat so they didn't get distracted with those sort of things um, so they had plenty of time to teach. They would basically spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with their teacher. That's how they would learn. I wonder if those of you who are at uni could imagine spending that much time with your lecturers today. Um, I think how it works these days is you... You watch about 10 lectures online at double speed and then uh, you meet the lecturer for the first time at the exam and that's, that's it, I think. Is that about right, guys? That's pretty, pretty close, pretty close. But in these days, it was quite different. These disciples had been following John around, listening to him, learning from his teaching. And the main thing John had been telling them actually, was this. He was saying, I am nothing special. This was, John, this was John's message. I am nothing special, but someone is coming after me who is special I'm not worthy to even untie his shoes. Get ready for him. It's not about me. It's about him. And John's disciples, they've obviously been listening because look what happens. Next verse, 36, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when these two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. The two disciples had heard John. They know Jesus as the one worth following, not John. And so as soon as they see that Jesus is there, off they go. They, they walk away from John and they decide to follow Jesus exactly what John would have wanted them to do. I love verse verse 38. It's this last uh, last line. This this really adds nothing to my sermon at all, by the way, but I just think it's so funny. Um, Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? It's not like the disciples have gone up to Jesus and said, oh, hi there, you know, my name's Andrew, my name's name's Peter, we'd like to, you know, follow you, learn from you. Is that all right? Uh, my, My picture is that Jesus was walking along and they literally just started following behind him and Jesus had to be like like what are you doing like why you just started walking behind me like what are, what are you actually doing what do you actually want and they said um, they said where are you staying where are you staying they didn't even uh, they didn't even say it then they just asked where his hotel was that's three of the five men uh, actually we've got the three yet no, yeah that's three of the five men oh so no we've got Andrew uh, we've got the unnamed one and then we've got Simon Peter so Andrew goes straight straight and finds his brother Andrew and then Jesus renames Andrew Peter so that's three of the five men um, and then if we skip to verse 43, we'll, we'll see the fourth out of the five. The next day, Jesus decides to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And that's Philip. So that's four of the five men are now following Jesus. There's the unnamed one, Andrew, Peter, Philip. Four of the five. And now we get to Nathaniel. Let's keep going. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What does Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's a pretty funny sort of little reaction, isn't it? I was, this is dangerous territory for my first sermon at, at Brighton, but um, I was trying to think of like a modern equivalent of what we might say instead of Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I thought perhaps I wouldn't come up with one just at the risk of offending people, but um, if I was to say something, I'd probably say, you know, we might say something like, um, can anything good come out of uh, Hackham, maybe? Is that, is that a fair? I, I don't know if anyone lives in Hackham. Sorry, I'll take it back. Um, actually, part of the irony here is quite funny though. If you actually, if you look closely... Uh, John 21, verse 2, actually, you'll see that Nathanael is from a place called Cana, which is actually quite, quite close to Nazareth. They're both in Galilee. Actually, the whole of Galilee was seen as kind of a backwater compared to Jerusalem, which was sort of the happening place. So it's quite funny, actually. This is Nathanael who's from Cana looking down on someone who's from Nazareth. It, it's kind of almost like someone from Hackham looking down from someone in Hackham West. I'm, 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 sure I'm sure they're really nice places. I'm sure they're nicer than they sound. Um, Nathanael asks his question. Uh, Philip actually gives a good answer, I think. Let's look at Philip's answer. Philip says, come and see. Come and see. And so Nathanael takes his advice. He goes to see Jesus for himself. Uh, Verse verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, he truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus is saying, here's someone who's honest, here's someone who's a straight talker, not afraid to say what he thinks, someone who's blunt. And Nathaniel is actually pretty impressed by this, he's thinking, wow, you you have sussed me out, Jesus, I am that kind of person. How do you know me, he says. And that's when Jesus blows his mind, did you see this? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. I don't know exactly what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. Um, it must have been pretty impressive that Jesus had this knowledge because Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. It's a pretty remarkable little turnaround, isn't it? It takes Jesus about 20 words to take Nathaniel from scoffing to believing that Jesus is the son of God. It's a pretty amazing little encounter. So let's change tact for now. We've seen that Nathaniel's met Jesus. It's a cool story. He comes around really quickly. What can we learn? What can we learn from this about what it means to follow Jesus today? As I reflected through the week and thought about uh, Nathaniel, I've got three things that I think actually we can take away from this. I'll put these up on the screen too. Here we go. Um, Three things. If we want to encounter Jesus today, I think we need to come with an open mind. Open mind. In other words, uh, we, we have to avoid just writing Jesus off. Secondly, we have to come with a working mind. And that means we don't avoid asking our questions. Thirdly, we have to come to the actual Jesus. What that means is that we don't don't make up our own Jesus and follow him him instead. We we have to come to the actual Jesus. Come with an open mind, come with a working mind, come to the actual Jesus. Uh, Let me show you what I mean. So first, come come with an open mind. When Nathaniel hears that Jesus is from Nazareth... He basically writes him off right from the start, doesn't he? Uh, Nazareth, well, he's from Naz- Nazareth. Jesus, can't be legit. I might as well not even bother. He's from Nazareth. I'm not even going to give him the time of day. Uh, of course, Nathaniel does come around pretty quickly, but here's the point. It's actually very easy for us to have this sort of attitude today. It's very easy for us to write Jesus off quickly. Today, people don't write Jesus off because he's from Nazareth, uh, but people do say things, don't they? Like, oh, Jesus is in the Bible, and the Bible is really just just fairy stories, so I don't need to pay attention to him. We just write him off. Or, Christianity is outdated. It's in the past. We can just write him off. Christianity is anti-science, and so we can just write Jesus off. Look what Tim Keller says when he talks about this. He says, Christianity was from Nazareth then, and it's still from Nazareth today. People love to roll their eyes at the idea of Christianity and its claims about who Christ is and what he's done and can do for them. The knowing people, the suitable people, all say, Christianity, been there, done that. I grew up with it. I realized early on it's not for me. And I've made up my mind. So Jesus is still from Nazareth. We still can write him off quickly. Jesus is still from Nazareth, and that means people write him off. Christianity, what he's saying, Christianity is not, it's not cool. It's not trendy it's not the in thing that everyone wants to go and investigate you know when you go to the office tomorrow morning um not tomorrow morning tuesday morning long weekend when you go to the office on tuesday and you talk about what you did on the long weekend um, and if you say you went to church it, I'm not saying people are going to be super negative, but people aren't going to be really impressed, are they? By like, oh no, know, that's a really cool thing to do. It's not like, you know, one person says, oh, I went to a really cool wine bar on Saturday night. One person says, I went to a really cool fringe show. And then you say, oh, I went to a really cool church service. And yeah, really cool. Yeah, it's all really cool. It's, Christianity was from Nazareth then, and it's from Nazareth now. It's not the in-trendy thing to be doing. And what that means is a lot of people write Jesus off before even giving him the time of day. And it's important for us to know this because actually this might be our friends, our colleagues, our family members. I think it's probably unlikely that it's anyone in the room today because at the very least we're all here willing to hear a talk about Jesus and, and what he's done. But we need to know this because actually we shouldn't be surprised when people quickly write off Jesus today. And so that might mean we actually have to show extra patience because that's just, that's just what people do these days. They don't, they don't give Jesus a fair hearing. And if we want people to come and actually meet Jesus, what we have to do is we actually have to work out how to convince them that they should give Jesus a fair hearing. That's not always an easy thing to do, but there, actually, there are lots of really good, I think, reasons why, why Jesus deserves a fair hearing, why at the very least uh, people need to come and, and hear about Jesus for themselves. Let me give you just one reason that I think jumps out from the passage we looked at today, uh, why Jesus deserves a fair hearing. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but there's so much detail in the passage so much detail in the passage. Um, just a couple of quick examples. There were people's names, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and also where they were from. They were all from Bethsaida and Nathaniel. He was from Cana. And then there was all, lots of detail like the time, like you know, it was the next day, verse 35, verse 39, it was four o'clock in the afternoon. Verse 43, it was the next day again. What John's doing is he's giving us this detail. And the thing is, some people like to write, write the Bible off and say that the Bible's just fairy stories, Right? Uh, maybe maybe you think they they have a point. You know, maybe 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 the Book of John was never meant to be taken seriously. Maybe it's just fiction. But but did you know that the whole idea of putting detail into an account like this, detail into a fictional story, that's that's actually quite a modern idea. Putting detail into a fictional story is quite a modern idea. So if, if you pick up a modern novel, uh, novel off the shelf, uh, we'd expect to read things like, oh, the next day the character went and did this. You know, At four o'clock she did this. Um, we'd expect to see that detail in our novels today. But that's, that's just not how, not how fiction was written 2,000 years ago. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about this. This is what C.S. Lewis says. There are only two possible views of the Gospel accounts. Either this is reporting as close to the facts as Boswell reporting on Samuel Johnson's life... It's the famous biography. Or else some unknown writer in the second century, without any known predecessors or successors, suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic, realistic narrative fiction. What he's saying is it's very unlikely that uh, some guy from Israel 2,000 years ago would come up with this whole technique of writing a novel a long time before anyone else had even thought of it. He says, if these things didn't happen, the writer must have accomplished this, or else it's nothing but a fraud. The reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned how to read. There we go. What Lewis is saying is that unless John and the other gospel writers are 100 years ahead of their time, I think that seems very, very unlikely, these writings are either reliable or they're, or they're the biggest fraud in history. So it may, maybe you come away thinking they're the biggest fraud in history, and, and I can understand that, but I think it has to be one of those two options. They're either reliable eyewitness accounts or they have just pulled off the biggest con in the history of the world. I don't think there's a third option. I don't think there's a chance that this could be just a fairy tale. <clears throat> I'm not saying this is proof that Jesus is the Messiah, but I am saying these accounts of Jesus are very reliable. And so we need to take them seriously. We have to do what Philip suggested to Nathaniel after Nathaniel scoffed at Jesus. We need to do what Philip suggested. We need to come and see for ourselves. We need to come and see for ourselves. We have to come and look into Jesus for ourselves. We can't just write him off. And I think this is what we have to try and say to our friends as well, who write Jesus off quickly. One of the things we can do with our friends is we can argue forever about philosophy and science and whatever it is. But in the end, I think we have to say, why don't you come in and see Jesus for himself? Let's, let's look at the eyewitness accounts and see what you think of Jesus. Come and see for yourself. Don't let the fact that our society sees Christianity as being from Nazareth put you off coming and encountering the real Jesus. So come with an open mind. That's the first thing. Second, come with a working mind. Come with a working mind. I wonder, I'm interested in this. Uh, when I read through the passage and I get to Nathaniel, I I, I think straight away, okay, Nathaniel, he's scoffing. He's He's a snob. He doesn't think the Messiah could come from a backwater town. That's how I read it. I wonder, tell me afterwards if you you do. I wonder if any of you, when you read this passage for the first time, I wonder if your gut reaction is actually different. Because actually, the more I look into this passage, the more I just, I do wonder, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, but I do wonder, is this actually perhaps more of a legitimate question? More of a legitimate question than we think. Is this less scoffing or is this maybe actually a legitimate question? Because if we just go back for a minute, this is, a, this is what Nathaniel said. Here we go. Nathaniel says, uh, "Can anything good come from Nazareth? Just just notice what comes before this. If I just go back a verse, here we go., oh, Sorry. No, nope, it's going to do it all again. Just look at what comes before this, verse 45. Look at what Philip said. "We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote." We found the one about whom the prophets also wrote. Now, the prophets wrote a lot of things about Jesus, right? There are a lot of things in the Old Testament that clearly predict Jesus. Here's the truth, though. There's one thing the prophets never mention, and that's, from, that's that Jesus would be from Nazareth. You won't find anything in the Old Testament about the Messiah being from Nazareth. And so maybe when Philip says we found the one that the prophets wrote about and he's from Nazareth, I wonder if Nathaniel's question is actually pretty legitimate. Hang on, Nazareth... Um, The prophet's never said anything about Nazareth, Philip. Uh, And so I'm not sure about this, but I do wonder, of these five people that Jesus came to meet, uh, maybe Nathaniel is actually the one who's, who's kept his mind in gear. Maybe he's actually the one who's still thinking hard. You might even say that perhaps the others have a little bit of naivety. I think either way the point stands that there are actually, there are lots of good questions. There are lots of good questions that can be asked about Jesus. Lots of difficult questions, lots of valid and well thought out objections people can have to Christianity. Perhaps Nathaniel belongs to that category. A good question. And if that's true, I think there's a lot to be learned from Philip's answer. Because what does Philip say? He doesn't say, uh, he doesn't say, hey Nathaniel, you shouldn't ask questions like that. Keep those things to yourself. He also doesn't fluff around and try and come up with like a, a made up answer when he doesn't actually know. What does he say? He says, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good question. You know what we should do? We We should go and see Jesus. We should come and see. We should go and see what the answer is for ourselves. If we're to meet Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus today, what we have to do is we have to come with a working mind, a working mind. If we're to meet Jesus and come ready to ask, we have to come ready to ask our real questions and say what we really think. One group I do think needs to hear this, actually, is our youth. Um, now, youth who are here today, don't, don't panic. I've only been at Brighton a few weeks. I, I, I'm not talking about you guys. I haven't, this isn't based on what I've seen with you guys. But uh, here's what I have seen at some of the churches I've been at before. Um, youth in churches, high schoolers, people in high school, youth in churches, they can be very, very good at going along with what's expected of them, if that makes sense, giving the right answers, looking the part, And often, actually, underneath the surface, they they do have big questions. They do have big concerns. As a youth group leader, one thing I always want to say to our youth is it's okay to have those questions. Actually, I want you to ask those questions. I want you to say what you really think. It's not wrong to have big questions. Actually, you know, I still have big questions about God and his plans for the world. I do wonder if at times we've given youth the impression that they have to hide those questions away and, and be ashamed that they that they have those questions. Maybe maybe sometimes we even give that impression to adults as well. I, I don't know what you think. This is not the attitude Jesus wants us to have. Jesus wants us, like Nathaniel, to come and see. Come and bring your questions to him and be honest. Come with a working mind and figure out what you think. A good example of this, I think, is marriage. Uh, anyone who's married will know In marriage preparation, one of the things they always tell you is don't bottle things up. Don't bottle things up, probably good advice for any relationship, really. Don't bottle things up, because if you bottle things up, eventually the pressure builds up and up and up until it explodes and does some real damage. We're told that we should be honest with our spouses, because that's actually good, ultimately, for the health of the relationship. I think it's probably the same with Jesus. Jesus wants us to be honest. And so church actually needs to always be the place where you can come and ask your real questions. Actually, at church, it should be okay to say things like, I find this really hard to believe. I find this particular thing here really hard to accept. Because if we want to encounter Jesus for real, we have to be real with him. If we want to encounter Jesus for real, we have to be real with him. So come to Jesus with an open mind. Come to Jesus with a working mind. Lastly, come to the actual Jesus come to the actual Jesus. Whichever way we take Nathaniel's comment about Jesus being from Nazareth, I think one thing that's definitely true is that Nathaniel approaches Jesus with his own expectations of what the Messiah should be like. Okay, so he thinks Jesus should be from somewhere respectable. And here's the thing. I actually think we can be a little bit like Nathaniel and put our expectations onto Jesus as well. Let me just give, let me just give you a, kind of an example to show you what I mean. Uh, I don't know if people remember these bracelets and all the, the things that were around. I think they were particularly popular like 15, 20 years ago. I'm, I'm sure like some people still have them today. Um, WWJD it stands so for What Would Jesus Do? Um, maybe maybe you've got one of those bracelets on today. I, I'm, not, I'm not negative on these bracelets by the way. I think it's quite a nice idea if you're kind of considering what Jesus would do in given situations. I think that's probably quite a helpful thing. But I do think there's probably one flaw with this whole Approach, helpful thing with just just one flaw that it's good to be aware of. I'm not saying you have to throw away your jewellery or anything like that. This is this is I think the flaw. When you ask the question, "What would Jesus do?" Who gets to decide what Jesus would do in that given situation? We get to decide ourselves, don't we? So just just to, just to pick something really controversial just for fun. Um, if you're walking down the street and you see a climate change protest and you you know you've got your bracelet on, what would Jesus do? I imagine probably some of us would go, oh, well, Jesus cares about the planet. So Jesus would be right in there protesting with everyone else, right? And then others might say, oh, actually, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus is a conservative, right? So Jesus would probably take out that whip that he used at the temple and he'd probably chase those protesters down the street. See, I don't don't, don't particularly, don't particularly have an opinion on what Jesus would do in that situation. But here's the problem. It's actually not up to us to decide because Jesus is actually a real person. And if we start kind of assuming what Jesus would do in every situation, uh, can you see how actually what we're doing is we're making up our own Jesus and choosing to follow that guy rather than the actual the actual guy? Nathaniel had his own ideas about Jesus, the Messiah could only be the Messiah if he comes from somewhere respectable. We're in danger of letting our own ideas we're in danger of letting our own ideas get in the way of being the actual Jesus as well. And I, I think I think what we have to do about this, this the solution. How do we avoid making this kind of mistake? The answer is it's again the same. It's again the answer that Philip gives Nathaniel: "Come, come and see. Come and see. Jesus is he's not something that someone that we make up in our own minds. He was a real, living, breathing person. He really walked around. People really met him and encountered him. The real Jesus is the Jesus that we see revealed in in Scripture." It's the Jesus that Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel encountered 2,000 years ago. Here's an interesting thing. I don't know if you noticed this through the passage as we read it. Uh, All the different ways that people describe Jesus. It's very interesting. Verse 38, Rabbi, teacher. Verse 41, Messiah, Christ. Verse 45, the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Verse 49, the Son of God, the King of Israel. I think one of the things John is showing us is that these five men who met Jesus, they they weren't just clueless idiots who were impressed by some guy who could do magic tricks. These five men, they had been taught by the Old Testament. They'd been taught by John the Baptist. They knew what to expect. They knew what to look for. And they knew it when they saw it. They knew it when they saw it. The person they encountered was the real Messiah. It was the real Jesus. John's showing that to us. This is the one that's been long expected through history that the Old Testament writes about again and again. if we want to encounter the real Jesus, we can do that by reading the eyewitness accounts. And by doing that, we encounter the same Jesus that they encountered. So come to Jesus with an open mind. Come to Jesus with a working mind. Come Come to the real Jesus. Don't write him off. Don't hide those questions away and bottle them up. We shouldn't make up our own Jesus and worship him instead. Come to Jesus with an open mind. Come to Jesus with a working mind and come to the actual Jesus. I hope you can be with us as we keep thinking about what it means for us to encounter Jesus over the next few weeks, but why don't I pray for us? Dear Father God, we thank you that you came into this world as a living, breathing, talking, walking, real life person. Thank you that you encountered people like Nathaniel when you walked the earth. Thank you that although his first reaction might not have been great, uh, he, didn't, he didn't write you off. Help us not to write you off either. Help us also to learn from what was good about Nathaniel. He wasn't afraid to say what he thought. Father, help us not to bring our own expectations or values or cultures or whatever it is in a way that stops us from seeing the real Jesus. Help us to come and encounter your son for real. We pray pray in, pray in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.